Hi everyone, I'm Joop, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Remote, where we are reimagining how the world works and lives. And this is Remote Talks, the show where we interview the top minds in remote work and global employment. We are joined by Jessica Hayes, the VP of People at Whereby, to discuss how to best use video calls with remote teams, how to invest in a culture without an office, and the keys to avoid micromanaging in a distributed environment. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Well, thanks, Jessica, for, for being on Remote Talks. Uh, you are at Whereby, which is a very cool company with a really cool project. Um, I would love to hear you introduce yourself and, and, and what the company does. Yeah, absolutely. So very pleased to be here today. Um, so I am VP People at Whereby, as you mentioned. Whereby is a video conferencing platform. Uh, we do a couple of different varieties of video conferencing products. We have one which is a kind of two-person peer-to-peer conversation that you have face-to-face. We have an app. We have a business model which has kind of big meeting rooms of up to 50 people. Um, and we also have an API, so a kind of no-code solution if you're out there building an app and want a video conferencing uh, product built in. We also offer that. Uh, we are a fully remote company and have been since before 2020. It's always the big question, right? Like, have you always been remote? Um, yes, we've always been remote, more or less. Uh, we have an office in in uh, Norway, uh, and we've got some team members working out of there. But otherwise, we are scattered all over. That's great. Yeah, I, I've been a longtime fan of the product. I think before it was renamed to to, to its yeah. current name as well. And I think one of the nice things about Whereby is that if you click on a link that you share with someone, you are immediately calling with someone. It doesn't it doesn't take any delays. It's not like yeah, we have to record this in Zoom because of the way we do this. And you were actually I had to wait several minutes for you to join. Even if you have Zoom installed and even if everything is good, sometimes you're just waiting for someone to join. And Whereby is really really fast. Yeah, I mean, it is. it does take away the excuses that you used to have. If you're using Zoom, you've got a couple of minutes to yourself where you can be like, oh, sorry, can't get into the room. And whereby you have no such, uh, nowhere to hide. You really have to come in and knock. Um, but yes, it's a very easy platform. I think I, I also used it before it was uh, rebranded because it was so good for candidate interviews. It takes away a lot of the anxiety of having to download a thing and like figure out how to get on. Like you literally just click a link and it, it just adds you into the room. It's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the design language is, is, is also really great. Like your website is really nice and it, it really stands out. Um, I, I would love to talk a little bit more about like the company itself, which is, I think what you spend most of your time thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you've been at Whereby for about six months now. Um, mm-hmm. When you joined the organization, what were your biggest priorities? How, like how do you start there? And, and what about it is specifically, you know, related to remote work? So, well, I think the first question really is is kind of the second thing you asked, which is how is it related to remote work, right? Because everything we do is related to remote work because it's how we work. Um, and there's nothing that we kind of layer on later on. Like it's it, it's the way we think about everything um, that we do from a cultural, from a business, from a process perspective. Um, so when I joined in uh, August last year, August, September last year, I joined, um, I... It's, it's a funny, it was a funny old landscape, really, because Whereby uh, was a very small team for a very long time. We worked within a big Norwegian telecom, actually. We weren't kind of founded like a usual, I put usual in air quotes, people can't see that, but um, a usual startup. Uh, it was an intern project uh, that ended up spinning out and becoming its own team and its own company. And when that happens, 
it's a funny thing. You've got half of the company is extremely sophisticated. So the product is very sophisticated. We had a really beautiful design language, as you mentioned. Uh, we had a really nice strategy. We kind of knew who we were. Um, but then we'd never had to build a people team or a finance team or an ops team because we had the this big company that was kind of feeding us all of that stuff. So when we spun out, all of a sudden we had very sophisticated engineering, very sophisticated product and zero anything else. Um, so I kind of joined at about the 35 people mark um, and we've had to kind of scale to meet the growth um, that the pandemic has, un you know, unfortunately awarded us, right? It, it has been very positive for us in terms of our growth. Um, but we also have a big responsibility to make sure that we're looking after our customers, meeting the expectations. Um, so we've had a huge amount of scaling to kind of meet that growth. Um, while also building everything that you'd expect from a kind of not even Series A, not even seed, but like literally just started last week startup in some instances. I, I think that's a little bit the traditional startup growth is like you hire someone for people a little bit too late, like especially <laughs> if the company does well, you're suddenly like, hey, we, we actually have to think about how to run this like this people organization. Um, and, and so when you when you came in, like what what is the first thing you noticed? Like what was the company not doing or what was the company doing surprisingly well? Um, the company has a very good set of kind of values and understanding of who they are, which I think is really nice. And that's kind of across the board from like how we design the product all the way through to like why we're designing it and who we're designing it for. Um, we have a very strong commitment to privacy and ethics. Um, and I think that is really good to see, you know, sometimes you see that kind of stuff come a bit later on, um, down the line when people need to start making tough decisions. Um, but that's always been there from day one, which is great. Um, there was, a, I think actually we're a very organized company. I think, uh, being in that big telecom meant we actually did have quite a lot of like the, our ducks in a row in terms of structure and paperwork and all that kind of stuff, which is nice. I've started at startups before where, your founders come over with a backpack full of misc paperwork and receipts and been like, here's all the things we have. Sorry. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, so it wasn't that. Um, but and then I think on the other side, um, for a remote company, we have a lot of work to do uh, on asynchronous communications. We're still getting better at that. And we definitely weren't great at it when I joined. We mm -hmm. kind of famously had this our general Slack channel, this is actually like a horror story, I think, but our general Slack check channel was being used as our like, you know, when you arrive in an office in the morning and everyone's like, hey, hey, good morning, how are you doing? And then when they leave, they're like, all right, I'm off, see you, bye. That, imagine that all day, every day, that was the general <laughs> channel. It was just chaos and noise. So we had to do a lot of work to kind of say like, okay, there's certain places where you can have just mindless chatter and places where you can say good morning, but the general channel on Slack can't be that. It disrupts work. It makes things more difficult. Um, so a lot of work on async comms, really. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I I, I was wondering, a company that builds a tool for video communication, if there was an overload of that, like are, were people too much on video calls or maybe not even sufficiently and they were doing everything in Slack? How was, the, how was that? Ah, that's a good question. I actually think we're pretty good at restraining ourselves from having video calls all the time. Um, we, we know because we use the product so much, what is a good use case for a video call? And when it's actually okay just to send somebody a text message or a Slack message or, you know, have a walk and talk on audio. Um, so I think we've actually been pretty good with that. Um, but it, it was the other things, I think, be, kind of trying to make up for 
the absences of physical office instead of realizing that you just there's some things you just don't have and that's okay you don't need to make a kind of artificial version of an office to be remote that's a that's an interesting opinion i think because especially because there's a lot of products nowadays that try to replicate an office environment in many different ways uh, ha- have there been other ways that you try to address the lack of physical offers or like try to bridge whatever is missing when you're working purely remotely so i think there's like there's different opinions about what what an office may be in this context right so you've got on one side i think there's the useful side of stuff that you definitely still need when you're remote and that's like one of the things i love about the whereby room is it's literally you're like a, it's like an office it's your own private room right so people can knock on your door you can let them in you can kick them out and i think that you actually do need i think the the problem with a lot of other tools is they're purely spun up in an instant you don't have this any sense of permanency and there is this kind of kind of constant administration to keep that running and that that's quite stressful so i think there is an element of this having something a bit more permanent having something yours having like a page where people can go to having something you can track that is actually an office e type thing which i think is important but having a place where everyone can say good morning good evening to each other i don't think you need that having thursday afternoon drinks where everyone in the company comes together and does just social drinks I don't think you need that. You can have it, of course, if you really want it. But I, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this big rush for everyone to kind of replace everything like for like that they had in the you know, in the real world, again, in air quotes. Um, and I think the kind of next level of working remotely is realizing that you don't have to replace all those things. You can just You can just drop some of those things and that's okay because people don't need them in some instances. I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense, but no, you are. are. I, I think I think the <laughs> counter argument to what you say that's used commonly is that you lack a sense of community, or it's harder to bond with your colleagues. Yes, and I I, I do hear this argument a lot. I've got a slight counter argument to this. I think when I worked in an office, all of my social energy went into my work, more or less, right? I was there from, you know, eight in the morning to 6 p.m. most days, people I had lunch with, the people that I wanted to have. If I was having a moan about having a bad day, I went for a walk with one of the people from my desk. It's like all my social energy. If I had drinks in the afternoon, it was work people. Very often we had conversations about work stuff outside of work. You leave, you go home, there's still text messages and emails. A lot of social energy was poured into work. The minute you change into a remote first world for better or worse depending on your your family situation your social energy now becomes the people you choose to have around you it's your wife or your husband it's your children it's your mother it's your cousins it's your neighbors it's your local shopkeepers um and i think i actually prefer to have less social energy poured into work and more social energy poured into my fiance um, and I don't, I'm not hungry for more opportunities to pour social energy into work. I, I quite like the times we have it, but I think I need it less than I did when I was in an office because I can just have lunch with my fiance and that's actually enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, 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 I feel very similar to how you're expressing yourself. And I, I think 
what you see, I, I, I do think there's like a split between people that prefer one thing or another. And so what mm. we do at Remote is we have like many opt-in events where there are yeah. multiple events. Like we have multiple bonding calls during the week. One is sort of account for different time zones. We play games together and they're all opt-in. And what we see is like attendance to them is like, it's never 100% of the people that are awake at that moment. And actually you find that the people that attend tend to be the same people. And it's not because mm. other people don't necessarily enjoy that or they don't enjoy their colleagues or they don't get along with them it's because well they that's not how they prefer to spend that energy exactly as you're saying and i i think that's definitely um, a very interesting trend and for yeah people like you and i that actually prefer to just get shit done and then live life outside of work that's uh mm. that, that's advantageous too i wanted to ask you uh, about your function specifically and and doing that so remotely and maybe starting off with like the most hairy question like the harder part of what I suppose is your harder part of your job, but you can correct me, uh, is things like uh, negative performance reviews or terminations. Uh, are they different in a remote environment? Is there something you do differently? Um, and if so, what? Yeah, I think they are different. One of the things, I'm going to kind of step back from this question a slight bit and, and I think say something that I think is really important for remote working we talk a lot at Whereby about trying to avoid having a parental culture um, where we, you know, I am not, the exec is not, and your manager is not anyone's parents, right? Yeah. So we always say, like, we give you all of the options, all of the information. We're transparent. We try our very best to share everything we, we make and we do with each other so that you can, as an adult, make fully formed decisions and be autonomous, right? Um, and I think most people hear that they say that sounds great. I, I want that, of course. Um and there are so many positives of building a culture that is non-parental and it really, really works with remote working because you don't need to be checking in on people. Um, you, you know, people can just get on and make decisions. It kind of eases things up in the time zones. But one of the downsides of having a non-parental culture is you're not going to be there for people to check in on them when they're going through difficult times, mm -hmm. right? So if someone is having uh, a negative performance review, just because we're non-parental doesn't mean we won't have check-ins to kind of help steer them back on track. But we consider it to be more of a split responsibility to get back on track than maybe a more traditional workplace. Um, we don't, you know, check in with you every hour of every day and we're not watching over your shoulder. We won't ever track you. Um, and we are more comfortable saying to somebody earlier, is this the right match for you? Is this working well for you in the long run? But I think the really kind of difficult part of this is if we have someone that really isn't performing and we are letting them go for some reason or making a decision that's not right, Usually if you make that decision in the same office as somebody, you can kind of see them for the rest of the next few hours or the next day or kind of over the next week and just check in kind of peripherally how they're doing. That's not an option. When you hang up the call um, or, you know, exit the Slack message, you don't really get a lot of read on how someone's doing or coping with that. You need to kind of check in. And we purposefully try to limit to some degree how much checking in we do unless they're giving us signals that that's something we need to be doing. Um, so I think that means that if you're the kind of person that really, you know, requires an extra layer of assistance or uh, guidance, that you can probably feel pretty isolated uh, at not just whereby, but I think a lot of remote companies, um, because there's so much more responsibility on you to raise that flag than would be in the office where people can kind of just see how you're doing. 
Do you find that you adjust your hiring practices to find people that deal better with this kind of situation and this like level of isolation or necessity to have a great sense of ownership? Yeah, so we we do a practical project for every single role that we do. Um, and the practical projects always have an element of ambiguity purposefully baked into them. And we, we always say to the candidates as well, like this is purposefully ambiguous. Mm. So you're always welcome to ask us questions, um, but we won't be able to give you all the information that can solve these challenges. Um, so an example is like in sales, for example, one of our challenges, we have three emails. You have to read the email and say which one you'd probably reply back to as a lead, right? And they all could be right answers, uh, and it's not really clear which one you should go for, but you need to make the decision. Um, and one of the things that's a red flag to us is, is if someone comes back with a, a lot of questions, you can tell they're anxious about their ability to answer this loan. Um, that that flags to us that we need to look further into their ability to deal with ambiguity and decision making in isolation, really. This is a very interesting way to to test performance and to test someone's ability to do so. I, I, I find it a, a great example. We'll probably steal that. It's a, it's a really good That's idea. fine. I, nothing is stolen. No idea is new. <laughs> and what about the other side of the equation, like a recognition and, you know, making people feel valued? Um, you know, I, I think the same rules go. Do you feel like it's it happens less in a remote environment and people have to be happy with that or other thoughts about that? I think the best recognition and rewards you can give to anybody is an environment that treats them with respect, filled with other people that are very, very smart and help them learn. Um, so we put a lot of effort into kind of making sure those two things happen above all else. Um, and I think that culture I just explained of non-parentalism and respect uh, is the first thing that we do there. So one of the uh, things we do from the very beginning of working the team is we say you start on a full tank of trust. Everyone gets a Plio card the week before they start with the, whatever money that they need, usually about you know two or three thousand euros to get their laptop, their home office set up. And straight from the first day before they even start, they've just signed their contract. We're saying to them, we fully trust that you're able to make the decisions you need to make to get your job done. And I think that recognition is being non-retrospective is the important part of that. Saying we recognize you're trustworthy before you even make a decision is a recognition I personally would prefer over, wow, you made such a good decision. We recognize that, which feels, again, quite parental, right? Like, oh, wow, good job. You did a thing. Like, I don't want that. I want, we trust you can do that thing. We recognize you're capable. Like, let us know if you've got any questions. And that's how we try to think about recognition more often. Um and then in terms of rewarding, we have a, you know, we, I don't think we do anything particularly interesting. We do a lot of the same kind of, we have an appreciations channel where we share our appreciations and our uh, celebrations about things that are happening. We try very hard to be a very forward company about, uh, you know, saying lovely things about each other and each other's work. Um, but really, I think that non-retrospective recognition is the, the best thing you can do to empower your team from my perspective. No, that's great. I, I, it makes me think a lot about our value of ownership and how we give you ownership day zero. Um, mm -hmm. And then it's up to you to run with that. And like, it doesn't work the other way around. You know, you can't, if you expect people to deserve it until that time, it's going to be a terrible situation for everybody involved where you are yes. you create a very parental relationship. And I, I never call it that way, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, again, I'm going to steal that from you. Um, and then <laughs> I, I want to address one last thing and, and going back to, uh, hiring. I, I read your blog, which is very good and very funny. And uh, oh. <laughs> I only read it like an hour before this 
call. So I, I wish I, I had discovered it earlier. Um, and, and, and you you wrote a very interesting thing about, you know, people tend to hire uh, people that remind them of themselves. And, you know, this is, of course, straight against building a diverse company culture. How do you how do you address this um, at Whereby? Yes. So <laughs> it's, the blog post is a, an extremely satirical. I think you can tell what kind of mood I was in when I wrote this. But <laughs> yes. um, one of the things that frustrates me about hiring is when people fail to recognize that you need to make operational decisions to make hiring work well right and it's it's kind of it's kind of a bit boring maybe a bit administrative a bit operational um but being consistent in you know the rules you make around how you source and you know not treating referrals uh any differently or uh, with any kind of special privileges um, making sure that you're having practical tests for every project, making sure you're paying people for practical pieces of work that they're doing, making sure that you're reviewing them all and getting good quality feedback back. All of those things, really, if you're not doing those things, but looking for shiny bells and whistles to kind of make your recruitment process better, you're just going to fail. It's like trying to half bake a cake and then ice it really well. So whenever someone comes to me and says, you know, we're struggling to hire diverse candidates. And then I say, okay, great. Well, tell me what your, uh, interview process looks like is it the same for every person that goes through the 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 process they're like oh no we kind of do a different thing but that's not the problem what I'm looking for is an employer brand thing that we can put out like I want to do a podcast to get better candidates and it's like you want to do a podcast or you want to do a video or you want to do an event but then what you're going to do is do a different interview process for every candidate and not pay them for a practical and treat referrals differently it's just crazy to me that you think that's going to work yeah, I don't think there's any magic magic bullet on that. It's just, you know, do do the things that you're supposed to do operationally really, really well, and then I promise you'll see massive gains. And then anything you do on top is a is a lovely, nice to have. And then, and then maybe to to end in in the most controversial topic of all of remote work, then how do you decide how much you're going to pay those people? Oh my gosh, I have just published my you. This is a segue and a half, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've just published my first part in a three-part uh, blog post about how to compensate remotely, um, or how to build a compensation framework. Um, the first part talks a lot about how to think conceptually around how a salary framework can kind of strategically help you, um, and the second part is going to be about how to actually make rules based off those decisions that you've made. So uh, hopefully it will be helpful for anyone listening. What do you do at Whereby? Yes. So we have just finished ours. We're just about to publish it in two weeks' time. Um, we have uh, four stages in our uh, compensation calculator. The first one is we have uh, – it's a location-based uh, first step. We don't do it drilled down uh, into lots of detail. We actually only have two regions. We have the US and then everywhere else in the world. <laughs> so we pay everyone else in the world as if they were in London and we pay everyone in the US as if they were in Austin. Mm. We will make exceptions if you're in the Bay Area or New York City, but we would have to look at them on a case-by-case basis. Um, and then the next step, we look at which level you're at. Uh, we get all of our data from the Economic Research Institute, which is a very good data set in my opinion. Um, and we have a calculator that gives us an outcome that says, well, if you're a level two engineer based in Madrid, then you should roughly be on X number. Um, and then what we actually have is a discretionary uh, room above that to a certain percentage where managers can make a decision without triggering any 
uh, kind of check-in um, because we don't want to have a cap on how much we pay people. If somebody comes in as a level two engineer and let's just say it says we should pay them 35,000 euros, that's massively low, but let's just say, um, and they say, well, I've been working at a competitor for the last five years and I've got an MBA and I bring a diverse perspective because I've been working in XYZ teams and blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, we're not going to say, oh, well, unfortunately, we're capped at 37, so we can't offer you. We would say, well, surely all of those things contribute back to our strategy as a business, so we should consider them. Let's look at this person's salary as an individual and figure out what that should look like. So we see our compensation framework as a set of guidelines, not a set of rules. Um, and I think that really helps. Will, you, will the calculator be publicly available to everybody to check out? Uh, I hope it will be. The, the competition framework itself will be. Um, so all of the steps that we have for the rules, so that will be probably out in March. But um, whether the calculator itself will be out is depending on whether or not the company agrees that it's going to be okay. I, I hope we will have the whole calculator out. Yeah, I think I think this is one of the things, and it, it, your blog post it makes a lot of sense as you're writing about this because every company we speak to struggles with this in some ways, and the philosophies are very different, and attitudes of the individuals that are on receiving end are, you know, all over the place, and it, it can really either benefit or you know the opposite to to it, many people. It, I think it's because that first step of like what why are you building this and what are you building it for gets missed, right? People. Yeah. So many times people have come to me and said like, oh, are you just doing what Buffer does? And it's like, why would I just copy exactly what Buffer does for our teams? Like, or, you know, people say like, oh, I copied the compensation philosophy exactly off X company, Buffer, Basecamp, GitLab, wherever. Some people I know are even using exactly GitLab's calculator for their own team. Which is no longer online. So it's a better Which idea. is no longer online. Yeah. So now their own team is going, well, now what do we do? Right. They haven't built anything. But, you know, if you're doing that, but you have different requirements and different funding and different, you are living and working in different countries primarily. Like it's probably not going to work. Well, you'd be very lucky if it worked for a long time. You really need to think about like, what kind of business are we? Are we a e-com startup with factory workers or are we a PhD level research lab? Like very different approaches there. Yeah. Jessica, it was so nice to have you on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. It was lovely to see you.